this is Gender Gap, a monthly podcast series where we chat or gab about gender and abuse from the perspective of two PhD researchers. I'm your host, Julia. And I'm today's co-host, Alisa. And this has been sponsored by the Gender Research Group of Glasgow Caledonian University in Scotland. is touching on sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Gender Gap. Today I am joined by the wonderful Elisa, who is a fellow PhD researcher at Strathclyde University. She's working on coercive control. Um, It's a pleasure to have you here today, so thank you for joining me. Hello, and thanks for inviting me to be here. I am so excited to be back on my old stomping ground. Uh, Last time I was here was like a month before we went into lockdown, Mm. and you're one of my lecturers. (laughs) Two years have passed now, and somehow I've managed to get two degrees within that time and funding for a PhD. That is so amazing. Yeah, and it's really true. We went into lockdown when we were when you were still in your undergrad. Yeah, which is also well impressive to see mm-hmm. you now, two years later, with two degrees and well into your PhD program. So well done. Um, yeah, I do remember your work <laughs> was already you know really impressive back then. So I'm sure you just kept developing into a very much feminist powerhouse <laughs> at this point. So um, yeah, so thank you for joining me. And today's episode, we want to gap a little bit about where um, both our research actually merges um, together, yeah. um, namely where technology may be used as a tool of coercive control. Um, But since this is your first time here joining me, why don't you start us off with a little introduction of yourself? So like, um, you know, your your PhD, general background, um, whatever you're um, up to at the moment and so on. So uh, as you know, I started off here at GCU as Mm -hmm. a very keen undergrad and was recommended to apply for the Masters in Applied Gender Studies at Strathclyde. Uh, The course really opened my eyes to critical gender studies and it was really like a, a moment of awakening And I can't honestly recommend the course enough Uh, to be taught and supervised by a feminist department has been an absolute dream. But I'm now on my third degree and I've still yet to be taught by someone who looks like me. Mm. So uh, what do I go and do? Apply for a PhD. (laughs) It may not seem like a big deal to most, but black and minority ethnic women are hugely underrepresented in academic circles. And uh, representation is so important for many reasons. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so for me, it was important to not only apply for a PhD to make my voice heard, but to amplify the voices of the women who I research. Um, I've often felt silenced by my own community in mainstream circles because it's like you're too opinionated for a brown girl, but wasn't loud enough to be heard by a, amongst dominant narratives. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because like that um, kind of like makes me think of like how this lack of acknowledging intersectionality um, yeah. Or like where where people do think about intersectionality, it's more like in an additive sense, yeah. um, which makes me think of like the statement of Barbara Smith, who was one of the founding members of the um, Kumbahi um, River Collective, which for the listeners who don't know, was a collective of black queer women activists in the 70s. Yeah. And Barbara Smith was essentially saying how the black movement didn't have space for her womanhood and the feminist movement didn't have space for her yeah. blackness and neither movement had space for her being a lesbian. So yes, you know, claim your space. Do yes. It. <laughs> and it, do you know, it reminds me as well of the bell hook. Uh, yeah. quote uh, I came to theory because mm-hmm. I was hurting mm-hmm. like that's something that's always really meant a lot yes. to me um, and I'm really excited to explore this idea more in my methodology but right now I'm in my first year so not much to report <laughs> sort of finding my feet and immersing myself in all the wonderful literature on my subject area mm-hmm. my PhD is in social policy and I'm looking at experiences of coercive control in Scotland uh, more specifically at the intersect of gender race and religion and focusing that on South Asian women 
So you've been doing really great and important work then um, and great and much needed work as well um, that you're doing for well underrepresented communities. Um, looking forward to hearing an update in, you know, on that front in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also leads us to, um, well, directly to um, where both our research intertwine, namely where um, technology is used as a tool for gender-based abuse more broadly, but also more specifically um, the role it can play in coercive control, particularly um, because you told me also a little bit about how this technology and um, element rolled into your master's thesis as well. Um, do you want to start us off a little bit um, about that? Yeah, sure. So my master's thesis examined whether technology was a roadblock or resource in black and minority ethnic women's experience of abuse. I spoke to five black and minority ethnic sporting organisations in Scotland to determine if the use of technology had been an issue for their service users and their experiences of abuse. I found that originally there was limited research which examined their this community of women's experiences of this type of abuse Mm -hmm. but my research found that service users of these organizations experienced similar types of abuses that are widely reported in previous research Mm -hmm. however their experience was complicated by cultural conceptualizations of things like shame honor religion and race oh that's so interesting do you have any examples of that yeah of course uh one of the organizations had reported that service users were reluctant to identify certain behaviors as abuse such as stalking through technology Mm -hmm. habitual phone checking um because they believed their husbands were entitled to that information both culturally and religiously wait what no way yeah yeah and uh, what was really interesting as well is that the organizations reported some service users had experienced coercive control from their parents or extended family members as well as intimate partners Mm. and this sometimes came in the form of restriction of technology Mm. consistent monitoring of online activities Uh, This was really interesting as it was a point that came around continually through every Mm -hmm. organization I spoke to, which is something that needs to be addressed and considered. The fact that restrictions to technology often isolated women further in abusive Mm -hmm. relationships, especially women that had immigrated after marriage. So Mm -hmm. those on like Mm -hmm. spousal visas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really interesting. And also like kind of showcases how... Um, it doesn't have to be an isolated abuse, but really like draws out like these these like lots of complexities here. Yeah, and technology can be used and exploited in a number of different ways in violent relationships. If you think of it, we're carrying a small piece of our past, present and future in our pockets most mm. of the time. And these little devices have large capabilities which abusers can use to control and manipulate their victims. Mm, very true. Uh, for example, iPhones have the find a friend feature, which mm. enables location sharing. And this can be done with the victim's knowledge or covertly. So the perpetrator knows where they are at all times. Mobile phones in particular can facilitate cyber stalking, which includes monitoring of victims through social Mm. media applications and harassment, as well as location monitoring. Also, perpetrators have at hand access to financial apps like banking apps Mm -hmm. and things like that, which creates difficulties for victims managing their own finances. Mm -hmm. Very true. Scholars who have uh, looked at this previously have described the feeling uh, that victims feel as omnipresent, Mm -hmm. meaning that the feeling of abuse is consistent and unrelenting because technology is everywhere. Mm -hmm. So technically, your your abuser is everywhere with you. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of old wine and new bottles, which Mm -hmm. is really helpful towards understanding technology facilities abuse because it's the same manipulating and controlling behaviors which have just evolved with current trends in technology yes absolutely this is such 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 good point like like points out like how all these different elements of how how technology can be used in such an abusive yeah. way and like um another way we can think about technology as well isn't that's kind of like where my research comes in a little bit is through image-based abuse so that yeah. includes non-consensual taking sharing and the threat to share images and what i think is particularly associated within intimate partner abuse and coercive control here is sharing of images or the threat to share images so um 
use both as a means of retribution and yeah. extortion. So on one hand, when it comes to relationship retribution, which um, is also most commonly associated with, you know, the awful term revenge pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, check out my TikTok, why this is problematic. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, thank you. Um, and images shared um, essentially as a form of um, punishment, right? So as a form of vengeance for um, survivors um, perceived wrongdoing, like yeah. they, you know, they ended a relationship and they cheated in a relationship. If it, you know, was true or not, that's um, debatable. Um, and there are loads of cases where particularly men then post images of their partner yeah. via social media, um, via Facebook groups, for example, via private chat groups such as Telegram, yeah. WhatsApp, and even like specific dedicated websites or um, directly to whoever they want to send it to, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, including potentially, you know, family members yeah. of survivors um, or even like their workplace. And in these cases, there is so much, so much shaming going yeah. on specifically for women and a lot of information being doxed by, mm-hmm. um, you know, from the survivors um, and essentially them being f- framed as if it's their fault. And therefore, it's essentially being used as a method to take back perceived diminished control and power. Absolutely. And I think what's also really interesting here is how image-based sexual abuse is experienced by women Mm. from religious backgrounds and racialized communities. Mm. The concept of modesty, honor, and shame can really intensify women's experiences, resulting in community-wide shaming, which often presents as a barrier to reporting Mm. and seeking support. Mm. So speaking to the organizations, this was a very complex problem for especially unmarried women for those reasons. Mm. Mm. And it's so under-researched too, isn't it? And this also kind of reminds me, um, and there's like also like how I'm conceptualizing what what intimacy means because like usually when we think about image-based abuse people usually associate it with nude images or semi-nude images but this completely disregards like such cultural nuances like for example if someone wears a hijab for example they might see it already as an intimate image if their hair shows and that's completely valid and it's like completely disregarded in in our current context or in our current debates that we're having around this um so um yeah really really good point to to mention um the this aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, we can also think about it um, in terms of um, sextortion cases. So where we also see that images are being used as a coercive control device within intimate partner abuse yeah. in terms of, um, you know, perpetrators often want or want to be in a romantic or sexual relationship with someone and images are then being used to en- essentially coerce them um, into unwanted acts, into preventing them from leaving a relationship, into preventing them from seeking legal advice, um, preventing them from reporting it. And for example, there was like this really insane case in the US where a man secretly took images of his, um, well, back then partner and later threatened her with leaking the images if she didn't return to the relationship. And he sent her um, memes of the images with a bunch of lies and threats to share them on social media. And there was like also another case um, where a man coerced a woman who was 16 at the time to send nude images and he later cyber stalked her and threatened to send images to her friends and family if she didn't return again to the relationship. Absolutely awful. So the extortion essentially then can be used as another barrier to prevent someone from leaving um, or coerce them into returning to a relationship, which again, as a result, makes extortion another tool. Um, And now a technology enabled tool of control and of abuse um, that is used by domestic abuse perpetrators. Yeah. And again, this research, this issue came up in my research. Uh, an organization mm. had told me that service users had often sought support because uh, boyfriends or ex-boyfriends had threatened to send intimate images to family members and community mm. leaders as well to hinder mm. their reputation um, and future marriage prospects. So they were often coerced into remaining in an abusive relationship mm. and would fi- you would find as well that they would sometimes marry that abuser because mm. of that situation. Um, organizations had reported that they would support they would support service users mm-hmm. by giving them their legal mm-hmm. rights alongside information about legal representation. Mm-hmm. But the fear of institutional racism and the aforementioned mm-hmm. cultural concepts Absolutely. often presented as a barrier to reporting. 
Uh, this puts the abuser in an even stronger position mm. because they know that these concepts present uh, prevent their victims from seeking that vital mm. support. Oh, so good. It's like, once again, like showing how intersectionality is such an important point yeah, to absolutely. consider. And we don't do it enough. <laughs> so no, I agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really good point. And what I, what I find particularly interesting here is um, where um, I picked it up from some of the findings from Eaton and colleagues who look okay. a little bit into yeah. the, the different forms of abuse that are prevalent within image with abuse, um, but also within, um, you know, more generally um, coercive control and um the use of technology um, by applying the power and control wheel, which yeah. you know is a bit controversial in its own sense, but mm-hmm. um, you know not to you know not to pick on that for yeah. today. <laughs> but essentially, um, what they were like um, thinking about is like all the different levels that are part of um, coercive control. So yeah. there's like this level of emotional abuse present with mm-hmm. you know instances of humiliation, putting partners down, letting them feel guilty, letting them feel stupid. There's like this level of intimidation, for example, you know again using images as blackmail, for example. Yeah. Um, then there's um, you know harm minimization or denial of the act. Of, or the harm experienced um, or like redirecting the blame towards survivors by shifting responsibility or denying it had an impact. There can also be like this level of economic control, which you also mentioned earlier a little bit yeah. in relation to damaging um, potentially also their professional reputation yeah. or um, taking, you know, having, not giving them access to, to their own bank accounts, mm-hmm. um, have not being able for them to, you know, um, go for legal fees or whatever yeah. it is um, or putting money towards support. Um and um, then also like this whole level of coercion. So coercing a partner to do or say something they don't want to do. And if the survivor has children um, or having children, um, or wants to have children, they, they find out about it if they Google their parents' yeah. names. Um, that's also like another level to it as well mm-hmm. um, as a potential way of threatening them. And then there's this level of isolation where um, there's like this way of control what the survivor does or doesn't do, so limiting yeah. the outside involvement, making survivors feel as they're completely alone. So overall, there are so many instances in the ways technology may be used to further perpetuate abuse that is already experienced, particularly regarding intimate image, yeah. uh, intimate partner abuse um, or intimate abusive relationships. So technology is another tool for intimidation, for control, for yeah. micromanaging, for domination, for isolating survivors. And what adds to this is also is how technology, including um, you know, the cyberspace are already so incredibly gendered they are, yeah. and they generate opportunities for so much misogyny on top of it. Yet the platform themselves also barely take any accountability. Oh, absolutely. And they try to minimize absolutely. so much of the Have you read experience. the um, Toxic Twitter report by Amnesty International? Oh, no, I haven't yet. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. It is brutal, but it's 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 horrendous. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, yeah. But I think despite all of these mm. ways and that technology can be used in an abusive way, can also be the opposite because it's not entirely all negative. Mm. Uh, my research also suggests that women use technology as a resource to help them if they experienced abuse. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because that's kind of like um, something we also come across with looking not just at the internet as a source of support, but also as a source of survivors being able to mobilize Absolutely. in a space for activism. Yeah. Anything you found that stood out for you for your master's? Yeah, I found that technology had some positive applications within the lives of black and minority ethnic women who had mm-hmm. experienced abuse. Uh, the landscape for seeking support has changed so much with the advent of technology. Mm. I know that when the first lockdown happened, mm. it was so difficult for women to seek telephone help as they were literally locked down mm. with their abuser. Okay. Uh, so the organisations that I had spoken to advised me of live chat services, mm. which had helped their service users gain that vital support during these periods. Uh, one of the organisations I spoke to told me that they use a very popular messaging application to keep in touch with their service users mm. within that community because it's a very favoured, user-friendly application. Mm-hmm. Uh, this app has supported women who have found themselves in difficult circumstances. For example, if they are mm. abroad, 
uh, to get crucial support and advice. Uh, in addition to this, technology has proved a useful tool for victims and survivors mm. to record abuse on applications in order to evidence it. Yes, absolutely. Very, very true. It makes me also think a bit about uh, the way survivors can now use te- like online testimonies to disclose the experiences. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like we might start going down a rabbit hole if we keep thinking about yeah. the ways technology <laughs> can be empowering. Absolutely. So maybe um, let's keep that for a different different episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, let's wrap it up for today. Um, as is the case with every episode, we also want to end on a positive note by celebrating our monthly accomplishments. And Lisa, would yeah. you like to start <laughs> us off? So I thought really long and hard about this and I, I'd listened to what the other guests had said mm-hmm. but they're really amazing accomplishments and I was like what am I going to say like do I feel like I've accomplished anything but I think within that yes absolutely mm-hmm. I think I've I've set myself limits and mm-hmm. barriers and I've said to myself no I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything that I don't mm-hmm. want to do and I think when you're doing a PhD it it's so easy to let it take over Mm. your life in its entirety, especially from this whole working from home stuff. And I think just learning to say no and, you know, closing my laptop Mm -hmm. lid, deleting Outlook from my phone (laughs) is an absolute accomplishment in Mm. itself. Um, I'm going to make a super (laughs) feminist statement here, but like not letting yourself fall into that capitalist life cycle of work (laughs) and sleep and nothing else. Don't allow yourself to do that. You know, take the time you need, Mm. take a holiday, take your annual leave, enjoy life because Mm. we're only here one time and... Yeah, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Like, that's like I feel like that's like, like where, where the value of like also like how how putting up boundaries and putting like resting oh, is, a, is yeah. productive in it and of is, itself. It's so and productive, it's, and we need to start seeing it that way. We need to start seeing that sometimes no productivity mm-hmm. is productivity. One hundred percent. We yeah. did also a podcast on yeah, that. Did so. <laughs> so yeah, how rest is productive. Yeah. So check that out. What, well. what about you? What's your accomplishment? Yeah, I I feel like I'm like in a similar situation of like, um, what could I, what I, what what was it that I accomplished this year or this year this this month? Yeah. What I think what comes to mind for me is I finally made that step of um, starting therapy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. and I love it. Yeah. I love my therapist is, uh, yeah. so much. She's yeah. so good. Yeah. She's so good. We're vibing on such a yeah. like good level. So shout out to her. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's really it's really helpful. I think it's a really interesting place to be in. Yeah. Um it's such a different environment to be in, but it's mm-hmm. like a it's a very um interesting way to explore yourself. Oh, absolutely. Away from yeah. any outside factors yeah. that you would usually factor in if you would talk like to friends or to yeah. family or whoever it is. So, yeah, no. I'm I'm really yeah. That's good, amazing. Good, good choice yeah. I've, made, I've made there. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure having you. If you want to know more about Elisa's work, you can find her on Twitter at ElsaJet underscore. Um, the link, as always, will be in the description down below. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> so um, bye. Bye. bye.